The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. It was my distinct pleasure to have as my guest, former two-time heavyweight champion of the world, Chris Bird. Talk about Chris's miraculous recovery from years of debilitating pain, from nerve damage in his foot, hip replacement surgery, and numerous shoulder problems. Uh, we discussed Chris's new diet and alternative therapies that aided his recovery. Uh, also spoke to Chris about his great career from his amateur days and sparring in a 10 by 10 ring in his parents' basement to his trip to the Olympic trials in 1988, um, silver medal in 1992, you know, not getting signed by a major promoter and getting avoided by most of the top heavyweights. Uh, eventually, he makes his way uh, to, to, to win the heavyweight title, and it's a great story. And we go into his battles with Ike Bayabuchi, Vitaly Klitschko, Vladimir Klitschko, Vander Holyfield, and many more, and how he found out that many of his contemporaries were using PEDs. It's a great conversation. Hope you enjoy. It is my distinct pleasure to have on this episode former heavyweight champion of the world, former silver medalist in the 1992 Olympics, uh, a great guy, love talking boxing with him, uh, Mr. Chris Bird. Welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast, champ. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, bro. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, yeah, man, I, I really wanted to talk to you because, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, Eric Raskin wrote an article, and, uh, you know, it just seemed like you were in just really bad shape physically, um, and, and you were in a lot of pain. So uh, just talk to, you know, fill people in. Like, you know, once your career ended, you know, you, you were still trying to do athletic things, and your body started giving out on you. So kind of kind of start there. Start with the injuries that, that, that you had. Yeah, well, it, uh, 2008 is crazy. I, 2008, I fought, had my last fight in Germany. I went to spar with Vitaly Klitschko. And just to see about me still boxing, he was heavyweight champion at the time. So, you know, I went there to see, hey, he called me, asked me, do I, do I want to spar with him? He was getting ready for Juan Carlos Gomez. And I'm like, yeah, so I'll go spar with him. I weighed 191 pounds while I was sparring. And, you know, I'm doing well. So I'm thinking afterwards, I fall on the card. Afterwards, okay, I'll, I'll keep boxing. I think I may go out to, to cruise away or whatever. And then a few months later, and I thought in May of 2008, and by September, October, you know, I wasn't, I was still training, but I, I came down with a little bit of pain in my, in my foot in my pinky toe and I'm like mm, that hurt <laughs> and then go to a doctor I uh, went to a foot doctor and he you know put some tape on it did certain things to it it was okay and then the pain came back like two weeks later crazy and that's that's when my pain journey started man a downhill from there it, it started getting really bad the nerve damage started getting bad affected my whole foot it was in my pinky then it just started spreading i moved from las vegas to 
to uh, Southern California at that time. And when I got to San Diego area, it was full blown. I mean, I was like, oh, my goodness, what is this? Mm. The nerve, it was called, I didn't know what it was. It's called neuropathy. And it was, man, my foot, the burning, mm. I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it was so bad. Starting off, it was that bad. Then it got worse. Ugh. I mean, it kept getting worse. And I can't take prescription drugs. Mm. It, it, it affects my body. My body is different. Like I like GMO foods. I have allergies. I have all kind of. When I was boxing, I had all kind of problems with my body because I put on fifty pounds to be a heavyweight, and, and then I had to stay a heavyweight. The food was causing all kind of problems. So the food was still causing a lot of problems with the nerve damage. But I didn't know it was the food causing a lot of. The, the pain because I, I wasn't my diet wasn't really clean so man I just started going through it going to all the doctors everywhere I mean I, I was going to four doctors a week I mean I'm in a doctor getting all these different treatments nothing helping mm. and then I took and then they gave me Lyrica they, they had me on prescription drugs and I was taking Lyrica, man, suicidal. I almost got arrested downtown L.A. I lost my mind. I wow. Lost it. Cop, cops surrounded my car. Oh, my goodness. I was like, man, my wife looked at me at the time. She said, something wrong with you. Right. You, you, you are going, I mean, look what you just did. I, I went off on my nephew and my son. I went crazy. Mm. And then after that, I started having all these dreams, suicidal and, you know, all this crazy stuff and then call a doctor, get off all the meds, get off those medicines that are making you crazy. And then I go to the Mayo Clinic and I thought that was the, that would be it because the Mayo Clinic is the spot. Right. I was there three days. They, they, they took all kind of blood, all kind of tests, everything. And at the end of the three days, the guy, the doctor looked at me and said, I would think you were lying about your, your nerve damage because everything come out good. Mm. I'm like, what? Literally. Mm. Shook my hand, and that was it. I, I drove home. It was in Phoenix, Arizona area, and I had to drive back five hours. I drove back, and I'm like, what do I do now? Right. So from that time, that was in 2012 to 2017, five years, I took it, the mm. pain. I didn't know... I didn't know what was, I'm like, what the heck? No treatments worked, nothing. Nobody knew anything. I mean, I, chiropractors, kinesiologists, acupuncture, everything. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm just stuck out there in pain, going crazy. And then 2017, I finally mentally, I broke. Suicidal. I had a major suicide break. And mm. I had many, I had many throughout the throughout the five years. I mean, I was, I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm in this kind of pain. Like constant pain. Going into my, Const- I mean, the flares, the mm. fla- so the pain is like, it's hard to, hard to describe when you have this kind of pain. Everybody's like trying to figure it out. But I'm like, if anybody ever had a, imagine you have a, it, it's the nerves. So, Imagine having a, a tooth that the nerve is so bad. You're like, ugh. Now imagine all your teeth like that. That's mm. how my whole foot was. Mm. I mean, I was like, I mean, I'm going crazy. The flares, 
I would have a thousand flares a day, all day, just hmm. constantly flaring. Well, Chris, Eric also said, like, did, didn't you throw your shoulder out? You, you also, or, or your knee, or oh. your hip? You had like hip problems or knee problems too, and hip problems. I'm having nerve damage, and I'm forgetting about. I need both my shoulders replaced and hmm. both of my hips replaced. Ugh. Uh, all at the all at the same time, and then I got a hip replacement because I couldn't take the pain. I was like, oh! And then after I had the hip replacement, I got calcium buildup, uh, and they say you'll never run, you'll have pain the rest of your life. I'm like, more pain? Oh and man! My body was my body was destroyed. Hmm. But I had to look. I had to really look at boxing, and I'm like, mm. everybody telling me, man, boxing, you're a little guy, man. Boxing really did damage to you. But I'm asking all the boxers, what kind of damage do you have? We have, most boxers have brain injuries. Right. Other injuries, eh, I got all the other injuries in my brain to it. Hmm. I looked deep into what was really causing this. It was food. I trashed my body. I didn't get signed after the Olympics. Won a silver medal, and nobody felt I was good enough to be a pro. I mean, I didn't have not one offer winning a silver medal. Right. I follow every Olympics since my Olympics, follow everyone in the medalist. Everybody got signed. I mean, I'm a junkie when it comes to this stuff. I'm, right, I, right. I was like, I was devastated my whole career. So being, being, um, not getting signed, being uh, just so depressed and down, I was like, I went to heavyweight, and people wonder why. Well, and a lot of people think I was a heavyweight all my life. <laughs> I was a skinny, skinny 165-pounder, and I moved up to 165. I really wasn't a, a middleweight in amateur. I was a right. middleweight. Right. Well, let's let's and let's now, let, let's go back and start at the beginning then. I mean, because you you come from a boxing family, right? You're from you're from Flint. Yes. You're from Flint, Michigan. You're from the Midwest. Flint, Michigan. You yeah. know, produces all kinds of great fighters from Michigan, you know, certainly since, you know, since the dawn of time, but certainly in recent memory, yeah. you know, Tommy Hearns, you know, James Tony, Floyd Mayweather, you know, just yeah. great, great fighters. So, so you're in that environment and you've got a father who was an ex-fighter, right? Yep. And uh, well, actually might have been yeah. still, still been a fighter when you were a kid. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, he fought when I was a kid. I, I was at one of his fights. He was forty-five years old, and he and he had his last fight. I was there. Right, I was a kid. I think I was six years old. Right, when he fought. So you're the youngest of and, eight. You're the youngest of eight. Yes. And everyone in the family is either an athlete or, or, or most of them have tried a little bit of boxing, right? Because of your dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you grow up boxing. So talk about that. Talk about uh, growing up in Flint and in and, and a, and a big family and in a big boxing family. Well, I'm the youngest of the eight kids that live at home. I have a stepbrother, so it's nine of us. But I'm the youngest of the eight from a mother and father. And I can tell you, man, my whole life, I don't remember nothing outside the box. Mm. Since I was a little kid. Since I was a little kid, that's all I know. Right. Me and my brother, we didn't have toys. We didn't have toys. We had boxing gloves. We would box all day, watch every fight on TV, try to mimic every style. Boxing was, we were addicted. We knew all the amateur boxers. We just wanted to be 
Me and my brother just wanted to be at the uh, the high level of amateur, the Olympic Training Center, all of that. <laughs> and we got to experience later in our life, we four years at the Olympic Training Center from 1989 to 1992, we are at the Olympic Training Center. I mm. made the Olympics. My brother, he lost the Olympic trials. My father was a head Olympic coach. So we're all boxers. Right. I mean, well, when you hold on, when, let, 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 let me let me slow it down for the people out there. So your brother is Patrick Bird, uh, who also Patrick went on Bird. to who also went on to be a professional. But he also you were in the Olympic trials in 1988 at 139 pounds. Right. And he was there at 147. Yeah. In 88. No, no, no. He, he was fighting at 132. Oh, he was at 32 in 88. OK. OK. He was number one at 132 in 1987. Mm, mm. He's on a he's on a Pan Am team with uh, Riddick Bowe and 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 that whole crew. I mean, a bunch of guys at that time. That was huge for our family because my brother Ronnie, who was before me and Patrick, he hit high levels in amateur, but he didn't get a, he didn't get a chance to make the Olympic the Olympics. Mm, mm. So. He was in the mix. He was the first one that got out there. Everybody knew Ryan, my brother Ronnie before me and Patrick, and then me and Patrick come along. And then my father come along as a coach, so we're all hitting high levels together right. in amateur, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. So 88, you lost to Todd Foster, right, in, in the Olympic trials. Yeah. He went on to represent the United States. And 88, yep. people forget. I mean, 84, everybody talks about what a great team. But 88, you had, you know, Riddick Bowe, Ray Mercer, uh, Roy Jones. Uh, it was Michael Carbajal on that team, I think. Kennedy McKinney. Yep, he was. Yep, K-Mac. Yeah, they had, oh, man. The Andy loaded Maynard. team. <laughs> right, right. Andy Maynard, Bowe, Hembrick. Mercer. Right. Mercer. But the thing about the Olympics, the saying about the 84 team, which was a great team, they had a lot of guys to win, you know, world titles. And a lot of guys won a medal in that Olympics. Right. He got criticized so bad after. My father got criticized so bad after the Olympics. I really, excuse me, I really think that's why I didn't get signed. Because mm. I'm going back, I'm going back reading all the stuff. I'm like, a bombing in Barcelona. We only won three medals. A gold, a silver, and a bronze. Oscar was the golden boy. I won a silver, and Tim Austin won a bronze medal. But that was the worst Olympic performance, you know, in, in U.S. boxing history. And we get criticized. But one thing they did, they failed to put in that article and saying how bad we were was this was the first year of the computer scoring. Right. We had an African uh, African judge never hit the one of the African judges never hit the button the whole day. They had to suspend them. <laughs> wow! Because so he didn't know how to use he didn't know how to use the system. And I'm like, really? This is this Olympics? How, wow! How, you know, you got three judges, five judges, and three of them got to hit a button within a second, right? Either in the blue corner or red corner. How crazy is that? Only <laughs> little kids that play video games can really pick that up. Right. Got older men trying to get, they hitting the wrong buttons, everything. So we had guys that got robbed, guys that just, you know, they're like, what? <laughs> our, our, you know, a lot of boxers lost that should have won. A lot of boxers won gold medals and didn't win a world title or nothing. They wasn't, 
they wasn't that good. And it happened for years after that since the computer scoring was in. Right. And they had to get rid of it. So they know it's bad. But we got criticized, and it was it was tough. It, it, it hit me hard. Right, right, right. I, I didn't get signed. Yeah, I mean that that is that is crazy. It's crazy because the 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 Olympics before you, you know, Bo Mercer, even Maynard, Maynard got signed by Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, Roy Jones, obviously, you know, uh, went on to great things. Kennedy McKinney, Carbajal, um, those were the medalists. And you're right, all you saw all those guys on TV, you know, um, and winning the silver. It's crazy. And another thing on top of that. We had a full Olympics. 88 was boycotted. 84 was boycotted. Right. So you could say they they, they were the, the great Olympic teams, but if Cuba don't come at that time, right. <laughs> you're, not win, you're not winning a gold medal. So right. And Russia, right. really available. Right. But, but Cuba, Cuba ran everything at that time. Cuba, they, we couldn't beat them. Right. We're, we were the only U.S. team to tie Cuba in 1991. Mm. The only U.S. team to tie Cuba. We're the only U.S. team to tie unified Russia. Wow. Only team to tie them. To tie them. We didn't beat them. We tied them. Six-six. <laughs> Both of them. And, and now we get to the Olympics, and we get criticized like we were the worst team ever. And I'm like, it's computer scoring. Right. Really? And then we all get criticized. About, in Ring Magazine, they put a bombing in Barcelona and criticized everybody but Oscar. Mm. I was like, and then I don't get signed. My father don't get no credit as being a great coach. He mm. worked his ass off to get to that level, and now he took me from middleweight to heavyweight and still don't get no credit. I was like, really? <laughs> you you got to be kidding. That's so crazy. And everything, everything for me went down the drain. I mean, I struggled. I didn't get paid my first two fights. I fought in nightclub the next seven fights. My first fight in nightclub, I made six hundred dollars. I'm an Olympic silver medalist making six hundred dollars. Mm. Think about that. Mm. When mm. all these, I looked at Shakira Stevenson, I was like, man, that kid got it going. Man, he won a silver medal Olympics. Watch how he get taken care of. Look at his career. Right. Look at his career. Right. Right. I wouldn't have had a great career, really, at middleweight. I, I was. That was Curry. He had a group of uh, guys that wanted, wanted to um, sign fighters at that time. And he came to my house, and he said, uh, man, you'll be a nice 54-pounder. I was like, hmm, I might fight at 54. After not getting signed, he didn't call back. Nobody called back. I was like, I'm just stuck. Three months after the Olympics, nobody signed me. I'm hmm. like, what's happening? <laughs> and then a bootleg promoter from Vegas called my father, said, hey, we can put some shows. I see Chris is now fighting. We'll put some shows on for him, and we can start promoting them. Sure enough, they put the show on. Nobody come. <laughs> Afterwards, we're in the back. Nobody got paid. I was like, are you kidding? Wow. This is how my career going to start. So hmm. then we have our second fight in my hometown, and I don't blame the the promoter because he was just a friend of mine that <laughs> that was uh, a gold gym. He worked at Gold Gym, and we we he gave us a free membership, so we started working out there. And he said, "Man, you guys are not fighting, man. 
hey, if I can get some help, I'll put a show on. I can put a show on for you. So my father helped him out a little bit. Nobody come to the fight. Nobody get paid. Oh, man. I'm like, are you kidding? This is second fight. I, I'm married with a baby. Mm. Borrowing mm. money from everybody. I made $600 again for that fight. Mm. Was supposed to make $600. Did, didn't, didn't make any money. Mm. And then I'm like, and then that's when it was a period where it was between, I think it was a, a year and a half. If you notice, the, if people look at my uh, record, two fights, and then it was a break, like a year and a half break where nothing was happening. I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, dang. I said, forget, I was cutting grass with my brother, and I said, man, I'm going to go to heavyweight. I don't care. Nobody don't want me at this weight. I was just depressed. And at that time, heavyweight was 225 was huge. Right. When I go to heavyweight, the Klitschko, the Riddick Bowl, uh, Lennox Lewis arrow started, and then the Klitschko arrow started. And then all the big heavyweights started coming. I'm like, man, now I'm a little little fish in the big pond with all you big guys. Right, right. And, and, and let me tell you how I went to heavyweight. Now, check this out. So... I ate, I just ate all this trash food, borrowing money, because I, I just wanted to be a heavyweight, drinking protein shakes, my kidneys hurting. I didn't know nothing about nutrition and, and putting on size, because I never thought I'd be big. <laughs> I never thought I'd be barking no heavyweight, you crazy? <laughs> so I started putting on weight, I mean, putting on fat. I didn't have weight, I didn't have anything. I just putting on fat, I just wanted to put on weight. So I didn't know how I would fight. I'm like, I'm just gonna be a heavyweight, but who gonna who gonna sign me? I mean, who gonna put shows on for me? My brother called me one day and said, "Chris, man, nothing's happening man, for us, man. Man, we gotta do something." So he said, "I made some flyers, and I'm just gonna go to, to some of these businesses and ask for money." And I'm like, "Money for what? I mean, you ask for money, but..." for what to live he was like I'm just gonna ask and see if I can get some help we, some help something we need something so he goes out he finds this guy named Dave and says he owned a, a laminating business and the guy said you know I heard about you guys in the paper that you know the business of boxing has stalled your career I think I can help you out I don't have money but if I can get some help we heard this before if I can get some help I got a venue and we can start putting on shows there. I was, when my brother called me, he said, now, I, 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 I bumped into this guy. He said he could do this, this, and this. I'm like, man, let's call daddy so we can, so he can help so we can start putting on shows. And sure enough, they got together, my father and him. And next thing you know, knockout promotions was, was in effect. <laughs> I started boxing in that little, little smoky nightclub, Olympic silver medalist. About 250 people, and I'm fighting at heavyweight now. My first fight, I weighed 193 pounds. But it was considered heavyweight because cruiserweight was 90, 190. Right, right, so right. I was scared to death. Made $600 <laughs> for a six-rounder. I never fought. The, the biggest I've weighed for a fight was 172, my second pro fight. And I didn't lose weight for the fight. I didn't lose weight for the first fight or second. We just we ate like we did in amateur we, we trained, but we didn't cut weight because the weight was unlimited. We didn't have weight class. So we just, it was just normal. Now I'm fighting that heavyweight. 
or or I, I would say heavyweight. You could say cruiser, but now I'm fighting bigger guys. I was scared to death, man. It was surreal. I was like, goodness. We went six rounds. I was I was so happy those six rounds were over. Like I made it through. <laughs> I fought excellent state, my first fight. Then I'm a full blown heavyweight now. Now I'm fighting a heavyweight. I fight again. I, I stopped the guy. I think he weighed like two forty. You know, you know, not a boxer. You know, early fight. I'm like, this stuff is fun. <laughs> I'm beating these. I'm beating these big guys just with hand speed and quickness. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I can eat anything I want. <laughs> I'm not cut weight. But that really hurt me because me trashing my body, it hurt me down the road. Right. But, man, I fought my way from the nightclub. I got my break. USA Tuesday night fight. Now I'm fighting out of the nightclub. I'm fighting at the Palace of Auburn Hills. My, they wanted me to fight there. I'm the walk-in bout. Olympic silver medalist, the walk-in bout. <laughs> They were still sweeping out the ring between rounds when I'm boxing. I'm like, I'm going to walk in about. <laughs> but they they tape all the fights. So I fought a guy named Waxham Fight. Waxham Fight. His name, real name is Daniel Fight. And the thing about Daniel Fight, he was a super heavyweight in the 1988 Olympic trials. Mm. I fought at 139. Wow. And now... Now, six years later, I'm in the ring with this monster. I'm like, oh, my goodness. He's five foot nine and a half, all muscle, just a little, little brick. <laughs> and, I'm a, and I'm a chubby 204 pounds. I'm like, oh, this. And all I, think, all I was thinking about was the Olympic trial. He knocked out Tevin George. Oh, my goodness. Tevin George was six foot seven, mm. super heavyweight. Mm. And all I'm thinking is, oh, what the heck am I getting myself into? You gotta be kidding! I beat him, you know. I put it on him pretty good. I mean, <laughs> it was out of fear. And that's when USA Tuesday Night fights take all the fights. I remember this. Yes, fights. yes, I remember so this. They start put, they start putting me on their. I made twelve hundred dollars that night. I fought waxing fights for an eight rounder. <laughs> the next fight on USA, I made ten grand. I fought Arthur Williams. Arthur Williams, my eleventh fight. Right. He just lost his. He just lost the cruiserweight title. Just lost it. Mm. Next fight, I'm, fight, I'm fighting Arthur Williams. Next thing, I'm fighting Phil Jackson, who just fought Lex Lewis. I'm fighting Lionel Butler. I'm fighting all these guys. I'm fighting all these guys that were up there. I mean, I fought a lot of guys, and I'm twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and zero. I bet I'm not even a heavyweight. But I made my way through, and the worst thing that ever happened was, was a was a good thing. I, I started fighting on TV. I get some exposure, right. but that was the problem. Now I have not one heavyweight that want to fight. Well, After I fought Tim Puller. I fought Tim Puller on USA Tuesday Night Fight. The whole world was like this. We ain't messing with him. <laughs> he left-handed, well, slick heavyweight. I was like. You, you 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 left a story out there, Chris. I, I remember this because uh, you were supposed to fight. I think you weren't supposed to fight Arthur Williams. You were supposed to fight Trevor Burbick, and it was literally the week of the fight. They they run they run a, a, a like a an ad advertising that fight, but they put the a highlight of you and Waxham Fikes, and, and and in the highlight you're making a miss. You're clowning them. You're putting it on them, and I mean, you're just taking them to school. And amazingly. And- 
Trevor Burbick yep. has a back injury the weekend of the fight. He totally ducks yep. out of the yep. fight just after seeing that yep. highlight. <laughs> but you know what? You're absolutely right. Because the highlight, when they showed the highlight, because they were showing it because I was fighting Arthur Williams the, the next week. And when that highlight came out, it was like, oh, now. <laughs> yeah, it was Burbick turned that down. I remember that. Burbick was supposed to fight yeah. you. And and he uh, yeah. and, and then suddenly he gets a back injury once they show what you can do. <laughs> yeah. So that's crazy. It was so like that my whole career. Well, now, now when did when did Bill Kazersky come into the picture for you? Cuz he he promoted you for a while. Yeah, Bill came in. That's when I started fighting. That fight, when I fought Wax and Fights, that was my first fight with, with he was kind of co-promoting with, um, well, he's co-promoting with my, my local promoter. I mean, it was crazy because he just owned a Latin name business. He didn't know anything. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he started getting more, as I'm winning, everybody started knowing him. We started connecting to everybody. Right. It was crazy. Right. It was crazy. But at the, at the same time, even with Bill, I won a silver medal Olympics. He never contacted me when I after I won a silver medal. I had to fight my way to, to Bill. Right, I'm right. Like, I, I'm like, but to this day, I never got nothing for my silver medal. Mm. Nothing. Mm. Everybody gets signed. They get a bonus. They get they, they get their career set up into. Now you just off on your career. You fighting. You fighting basically. You you about to win a world title. You on your road to a world title. I went the whole. I went a route where a beginner would start. Right. Who fights Olympic silver medalist fighting at a nightclub? Two hundred and fifty people. <laughs> Not making six hundred eight. The most I made in a nightclub was eight hundred dollars. Hmm. Well, you figure back back in the nine, like the early nineties, like. Boxing had pretty much come off of the major networks, right? Like, you didn't have the wide world of sports fights and all that. Like, HBO had pretty much grabbed all the big fights. And all all you had was, like, Tuesday night fights and Friday night fights, right? Like, the, the, those were, like, the they kind of replaced the, the weekend fights. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, man, USA, for some reason, loved me. <laughs> I mean, they love my style because I fought there 13 times. Right, right, right. 13 times. I, I mean, I, I was a household name on there. And I was, and I was so happy because now I can have a career. Right. But the, 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 the biggest part of all that was getting fights. Right. I right. couldn't believe how how much the heavyweights, how much they, how, how much, I'm not, I'm not a heavyweight. How cowardly are you? <laughs> I'm like really? Who cares? I, look how small I am. You can kill me. I would go to a gym, spar, and then I can't get any more sparring. <laughs> I would have people sparring partners when I was champion call call me and say, oh, "Man, because I'll call them after the sparring." They'd be like, "Yeah." Then they start asking me all kind of questions, calling me back. Um, Man, how are you for real? How are we gonna work this? I'm like, we just sparring, man. Why you ask me questions? It's just sparring because my <laughs> style is so different. Like I, the press, I, I get all this bad media 
you know, Larry Merchant just killed me. Just, I mean, devastated. <laughs> well, that's Where it. I mean, at, at a certain point, you you sign with you sign. I mean, uh, Cedric Kushner becomes a co-promoter, right? And and then you ended up on H was was when you fought Alicia Castillo. Was that an HBO fight? I know at one point that was you made your HBO debut. That was no, my HBO debut was Jimmy Thunder. I was with Main oh, Event. Oh, Jimmy Thunder. Oh, you were the main event. And, okay. And at first, man, I was I was so happy. I was like, man, it, it felt good because all these promoters wanted me, and it felt really good because now they I'm getting courted by these promoters, which I didn't get after the Olympics. I'm like, oh, they want me now. <laughs> it felt pretty good, but I went all the way. I'm going to tell this story. I went all the way to England to Frank Warren wanted me. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, I would love to be fighting in England. I go all the way to England to a boxing show. Nassim Hamed fought one of his world title fights. Man, it was, I was so excited. I was like, man, I might be a part of this whole system. Now they're taking me as a real fighter now. I felt the best ever. I'm like, man, I think I, I don't know if I'm going to sign with Main Event. I think I might sign with Frank over here, man. I, I love it. You know, he flew me to England. He never even spoke to me. What? Never. He never even came in and shook, shake my hand, nothing. All because this motherfucker, Sterling McPherson, see, they, they think I don't know. Somebody told me, told him I couldn't fight. He said, oh, you don't want to sign him. He ain't no good. He's born. And it, it crushed me. Mm. And I was, so, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, really? I flew all the way over there, not, not even high, shake hand, nothing. I was like, really? Again, disrespected. Again, disrespected. That shit still hurt me now. Right? No, I mean, it, and and it's crazy. Like the 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 logic. It's like, and anyone who really knew boxing, it's like you're a guy who went to the Olympic trials when you were like in your teens. You didn't make it. You come back. You make the team. You only lose to like one of the best amateur. Fighters in the world, Never. Hernandez from from Cuba, double gold medalist. In a close fight. In a close fight. In a close fight, one right? Two, it was close. One one after the first, four four after the second, and I lose twelve seven. That's the computer scoring twelve seven. Right. He scored twelve points on me. I was, I fought four guys before that. They only scored fourteen points on me, but he scored twelve, and I thought I won. I was mm. like, man, this is some bull. Right. I was gonna swear, but it was <laughs> I mean, I'm like, really? It did to add insult to injury. I don't get signed afterwards. I'm like, what? Right? Are you kidding? <laughs> I gotta start my pro career off like this. <laughs> struggling, struggling, struggling. Then I start struggling with my body. You know, I fell out probably twelve or thirteen fights. After I fought, I, in a locker room, I would fall out. If you watch my fight with Jimmy Thunder, when Larry Donald was fighting the, in the main event, I was the co-main event. On HBO, they were showing me. They were saying, oh, he's, they rushed him to the hospital. Mm. Why? Why were they rushing him to Because I, I fell out because nobody knew why. It was the food. The food just affected my body. Wheat, sugar, and dairy is kryptonite to me. 
kryptonite, literally. I'll be extreme fatigue. My son got the same problem. Extreme fatigue in the ring, but it's the wheel to win, man. I was like, forget this. I, I can't I can't fail. If I lose, every time I lost, I drop way down because nobody really wanted me. Right. It's hard for me to get a fight. Now I gotta fight my way back into the mix. Right. I lost to Ike. Everybody wrote me off. <laughs> I come back, fight Vitaly, and then I lose to Vladimir. Everybody write me off again. I was like, damn, I can't. Did I get into the IBF tournament? I win it. Beat everybody. <laughs> I beat the Maurice Harris and, and, and David Tua. Now I'm in the line for for the heavyweight title. Right. Lance Lewis. He gives the build up. I mean, if if I go deep into it, people say, well, Don King gave him a million dollars in the Range Rover. I'm like, really? Y'all believe that? People actually tell me that. Well, no, he, Don King bought you that title. Oh, really? <laughs> Lance Lewis, so follow his career, follow his interviews. He don't like fighting lefty. Right. Well, listen, I mean, I... Let's let, let's take it back a little bit. So you 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 fight Castillo, and with the Bay of Bucci, like I I don't even know were you even like I remember you telling me because I, I I interviewed like you like right after you beat Vitaly Klitschko back in two thousand. I remember talking to you about all this, but like with the Bay of Bucci, were were you even? I mean, was that a fight that did you have time to train for that, or or was was that one that? You yeah. know, yeah, they, they they made that one specifically. Like you and Abe Abuchi was 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 a main event, right, on HBO. Yeah, we were. Yep, and it was hard getting Ike in the ring. I mean, we went through. <laughs> well, talk, talk about what he guys. did. Like you're coming, you come, you come to the, uh, you come to the arena, and and what do you see with with, with Ike? Do you remember? Because you, you you told me he was pacing in the parking lot. With a that, cow, that cowboy crazy. hat on, <laughs> and it was yep. hot outside. Yep, looking looking at the sky, back walking, <laughs> pacing back and forth. That's when we pulled up. We we flew from the airport. I mean, we drove from the airport, get, pulled up to the hotel. He's outside walking back and forth, looking in the air, <laughs> staring. And and mind you, he jumped on his coach and his sparring partner a week before that. We before, so I thought the fight was off. Mm. And then I get a separated rib on that that Thursday. It was it was 15 days before the fight. That's when I it was on Thursday. I got a separated rib, and I was like, "Dang it!" But I'm and me and my wife argued because she's like, "Why are you fighting? Well, you you crazy?" I was like, "Nobody want to fight me. I have to fight." He agreed to fight me. Usually, nobody agreed to fight. Me. He agreed. Right. So I have to take the fight. I have to. Because this, my whole thought was, if I'm going to beat Ike. I don't care if I you cut my leg off. I'm going to beat him. <laughs> I, I get to fight Lennox Lewis. Because all the sanctioning bodies never rated me high. I'm 20, 21-0, then I'm 26-0, and, and I'm still rated number nine. I'm like, what kind of shit is this? <laughs> Why am I still number nine? I right. never, I can't, I never got rated high by anybody until I got into the IBF tournament. I was rated number nine when I got in the IBF tournament. Mm. When, when my name got mentioned to be in a tournament, everybody started scattering. <laughs> David Tua, his lawyer, 
his um, the goosens they try to sue to get me out of the tournament. I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, we every fight we go through, we got we gotta go through something. Mm. I'm like, gosh, man! All because these guys. I don't know if it was the guys, their manager, or their coach. I don't know who it was. Man, you don't want to fight him. He's too difficult to fight. Right, right. Well, with the Ike fight, I, I remember you saying something too about. You talked to Max Kellerman beforehand, and you told him that yep. you you were going to go to the ropes, that you were going to go to the ropes yep. against Ike. You weren't afraid of Ike. You know, you'd go to the ropes and you'd still clown him. And then you yep. did you did go to the ropes, and you made you he made got, a mistake. He caught you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I always did it again. The ropes <laughs> is my playground. I just got I got caught in the ropes. I look at it, and I'm like, man, I made a mistake. I looked at the fight, I'm like, oh, I did make a mistake. Keep your hand. He was coming. I thought he was coming over. He was coming under. And boom, right. hit me right on the butt. And I was like, oh, my goodness. When I right. watch that over, I'm like, oh, man. It's heavyweight, man. Right. People don't understand. I, I fought at small weights my whole life. And I maxed out at 165, the middleweight. And I wasn't even really a... 165 pounder in amateur. Then I come out of amateur fight at 169, my first pro fight. Fight at 172. I'm chubby. If you watch those fights, I'm not in. I'm not in any shape. We didn't cut. Me and my brother didn't cut weight the first two fights. We just fought. Right. That's how bootleg our career was. It was just, <laughs> okay, you just fight. <laughs> and now, and now I'm fighting a heavyweight, which is surreal. The guys hit so hard. Right, and and then I'm de- dealing with height, weight, reach, everything. Absolutely, I'm at every disadvantage you can you can uh, name when it comes to the bigger guys in the division. So, right, it was and Abayabuchi was no yeah. joke. I mean, Abayabuchi, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to be the next big thing. You know, I mean, he was coming up um alongside uh Michael Grant who everyone assumed was going to be the next big thing and then Lennox kind of put a stop to that but Abayabuchi was a guy who never who never did get beaten I mean he kind of beat himself obviously but I mean no no shame yeah. in losing to Ike no shame in losing to Ike you come back yeah. you get a couple wins and then you know you get an opportunity I mean you, you were supposed to fight I forget who you were supposed to fight who were you supposed to fight when the Klitschko call um. came uh, Adolfo Washington. There you go. There you go. You had a fight. It was, was on a cable network. And then uh, yeah. you get a call. Was it like nine days notice to, to take on Ten Klitschko? Days Ten yeah. days notice. So uh, I remember you saying that uh, Lou DiBella said, you know, you're not my favorite, but but be ready. <laughs> so you were ready. Yeah. You were ready when uh, when the call for Klitschko came. So talk talk about that. Yeah, the call with Klitschko, you know, it's it was a setup. You know, they're telling me, you know, be ready, and this is an opportunity, but they just signed him. That was his first fight on the HBO, and they just signed him. So it wasn't for me to win. It wasn't for me to do anything. Right, It right. was for me to get, up, get my butt whooped so to make him look good on TV, and it backfired. <laughs> Even Vladimir said it in Germany. He said, man, y'all keep saying this this guy can't fight. Like, he's going to get, y'all talking like he's going to get killed quick in the fight. Like, my brother's going to blow him out. No, he can fight. He kept saying it. Vladimir kept saying it. And everybody just dismissed it like, okay, he's going to get destroyed. <laughs> and 
And it wasn't like that. You had to be in the building that night to understand the energy in that building. Everybody in that building, no, upset was on everybody in my head like, oh, the giant is about to fall. <laughs> because when he quit in the 10th round, look at the end of the ninth round. Yeah, you were you had you you were putting it on him, man. I'm coming on. Yeah, you're I'm putting it on. on. And he's he's slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. But HBO, since they were gonna sign him, they criticized me. <laughs> and Larry Merchant, oh man, <laughs> never fought before, but he know everything about boxing, and everybody <laughs> believes him. I'm like, really? Not not your biggest I'm fan. A boxing dude. <laughs> Get out of here! And he and had everybody believing he's boring. He can't do this. He can't do that. I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm just trying to figure my way out. <laughs> it's funny when, when Floyd do it, he make a billion dollars. I do it, I don't make nothing. <laughs> well, with Klitschko, t- <laughs> talk about fighting Vitaly Klitschko, who's now in the Hall of Fame. Um, like h- how hard did he hit? I mean, he's a massive guy. He's huge. He's, I mean, I stood next to him and I mean, you really feel his size. Well, I mean, he's like, he's, he's a legit six, seven. There's, it's no exaggeration. Dude is definitely six, seven and, uh, and a big dude. So what was it like being in there the first couple rounds, just trying to figure him out and, and slow him down a little bit? The first couple rounds was, uh, I'm getting hit with shots, pulling back. And I get away with that with shorter heavyweights, but the first time I fought somebody six seven six eight, you're like, oh my goodness, he's so tall and he can punch. But my brother was in the corner with my mother and father, and he he was just yelling at me. He know me really good, my brother Patrick. He said, take it to him. Why are you backing up? And I'm like, well, he is big. So he's like, no, take it to him. Punk that big mug. So I started taking it to him, making him miss, take it to him. Make him miss, take it to him. And then he, the, the giant started going backwards. He's starting to fall apart. And I'm like, oh, this is working. And then the crowd changed. Could he burn? Could he burn? I'm, I'm to the crowd, I'm like, ooh, they, they cheer my name. <laughs> I'm in this fight. HBO, the illusion. There you go again. Turn the t- Turn the volume down and just watch the fight as it is. And then you score it. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Because the influence of the, the commentator, of course. Oh, yeah, he's getting beat up. He's not hitting me. So if you're not hitting, you could throw all day. But if it's not landing clean, that's what the judge is. I'm like, really? Y'all got it that big? So in Germany... In Germany, on German TV, they had it 5-4 either way when he quit. Mm. Everybody had it 5-4. That's why you're like, oh, man, the Giant is getting ready to, to lose. But HBO had me, I think, winning maybe one round. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You had to be in the building that night. Everybody. The crowd, after I felt like Michael Jackson in the 80s at concerts. It was crazy. <laughs> Everybody mobbed me there like, Man, you beat him. Wow. But I come home, they listen to it. Well, he really didn't win. That was, that was you know, he hurt his shoulder. You know how I many injuries I had in boxing and you keep fighting? My brother threw his shoulder on the first round of a fight, of an eight round fight, switched right handed, and won the fight. <laughs> After he uh, separated his shoulder. Split, 
separate short. Danny Williams did the same thing in German. I mean, in England. Right. Threw his shoulder out. It's on YouTube. He fought one hand. And you mean to tell me, little bitty me, you weigh 244, I weigh 210, and you going to quit because of a shoulder injury? Hmm. <laughs> so that that's how it, it's an illusion. They got people believing whatever. I'm like, well, they'll never give me credit. They never compare me to anybody great. I'm like, really? I'm the smallest guy in the division. Nobody had the challenges I had fight. Every fight, somebody's bigger than me. Right, right. Well, speaking of, so about weight, right? Absolutely, and strength, and especially at heavyweight. I mean, you know, you look at how long the Klitschko's reigned, and you know, yeah. they 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 were pretty skilled. But I mean, compared to you know, like an Ali or whatever, it's like you know. That they were kind of boring to watch, but but Vladimir obviously both those guys knew how to fight. And Vladimir, you fought in your next fight after Vitali, and you know he just did a, a better job at, at at keeping you at distance, right, and using his size. Strong as heck. Yeah, he's strong. I mean, just a strong guy. Right. You know, he's and and he kept his height and reach really. I'm a put like this. He's an Olympic gold medalist. A super heavyweight. He's fighting an Olympic silver medalist at middleweight. How are you supposed to treat him? <laughs> like I'm a middleweight. And that's what he did. Use his size, stay tall, understanding boxing. Boxing is a style matchup. So the styles didn't mess. He made me become, try to become an aggressive guy. I got to come to him. I'm not an aggressive guy. Right, right. I, I, I wait for you to throw. But he was waiting on me. I was like, okay, now I got to try to come forward. So it was hard. Right, right. No doubt, no doubt. So you, I mean. That's the, that's the total difference. Right. And, of course, it's it's the business of boxing. Like, you know, ordinarily when you win a world title, you know, you get an easy one or what have you. But because you came in there, you know, as, as like a last-minute last, last minute replacement, you got to give options. You got to, you know, do whatever you got to do to get a title shot. So. So they basically said, well, yeah. if Vitaly don't want you, he's injured, you know, we'll have the brother fight you. <laughs> yeah. That way, it's not even really bad because they never wanted to rematch. Think about it. He was champion when I won, when I beat Evander Holyfield. He was champion. Right. He, he, he never said, ooh, I want to get that rematch. I want to get that win back. Never. Never even brought it up. Matter of fact, when I fought Vladimir the second time, my lawyer, John Horner, called me. He said, Klitschko want to fight you. I was so excited. I was like, oh, man, get to fight Vitaly again. He was like, no, it's Vladimir again. Vitaly don't want to fight you. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> Vladimir was ready number seven. He wasn't even in the mix. I made the fight. I the one wanted to fight him. I could have been like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to keep my belt. I'll fight somebody else. I said, no, I want, I want that challenge. I want to get that win. I want, I want to beat both. Clisco brothers, and he beat me already, so it's my time. It didn't happen, so right. You know, I took the risk. Hey, I still took the risk. So, you know, I'm I'm like, you know, the career, and then I look at it like this, and this is, and I'm just keeping it real. I'm not, I'm just keeping it real. It's drugs all through the sport. Mm. Everybody on drugs at the high level, everybody uses drugs. It's crazy, and, and nobody's saying nothing. Three kids died last year. If my kid got killed by one of these one of these guys, I'm checking everything. 
I'm right. going to training camp. I'm ch- I was a coach. I'm not stupid. I was a coach. I seen drugs all over the table. And I'm like, really? Mm. Mm. Man, this is the most da- one of the most dangerous sports, and you using drugs? Mm. You amped up on it in your brain, and you go, you just keep coming, taking punches, keep coming, keep coming. I'm like, dang. <laughs> a boxer told me about everybody taking drugs, a heavyweight boxer. And, and it, it tripped me out. I was like, what? The weekend of Oscar De La Hoya, Fernando Vargas, won the heavyweight stayed at my house. It hit me to everything. I was like, really? Mm. What? And then I started looking at everybody. I'm like, man, they are on drugs. And then when I became a coach after boxing, drugs everywhere. Mm. I'm like, mm, this is, I see it. Mm. Wow, these they cheaters and they fucking cheaters. I'm, I'm gonna say that word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the word because you could kill somebody in this damn ring. Right? You could kill them. You damage your brain. Damage. Look at look at um preacher cologne. Right. Right. Look at that. Right. That's just. I'm not saying drugs. That's just an example of getting damaged in the ring. Now you on drugs. Cheaters. Right. All these cheaters, everybody, all these guys at the highest level call themselves great, they cheat. Mm. And I'm going to say it, and I'm going to put it out there. I was a coach, so I seen drugs everywhere. And if there's drugs everywhere then, three, about five, six years ago, imagine how drugs are now. Imagine how drugs are if it was back when I was fighting, they were using drugs, using drugs. Imagine how sophisticated drugs are now. Right, right. Well, I mean, listen, you look at the top heavyweights and, you know, Fury's tested positive and and uh, Dillian White's tested positive, Povetkin's tested positive, Ortiz is tested positive, <laughs> Big Baby tested positive. I mean, you've got look, look, a lot of the top heavyweights. And they're still fighting. Right, And right. they're still fighting. Right. And they're still fighting. And yep. you're like, really? You You don't think they can get around that? Right. But it's not only the heavyweights, it's all boxing. All these guys. Right. All of them. Right. At the higher level. And right. I'm going to call them out. I'm like, you a coward. You are, you are a coward for using that. You need help. You're not great. <laughs> Everybody call themselves great because they get, a, they, get a, a, they get past the drug test. That's why. Now you're great because you got confidence. Right. But don't take no drugs and see how much confidence you got now. So and, in this... So uh, hold, hold, hold. Well, I was going to say, in this era, like you're talking about, like, you know, De La Hoya Vargas was 2002. So this was around a time where, where you lost it the clinch. It was, 2000, it was 2004 when they fought. Was it 2004? With Vargas De La Hoya. Vargas De La Hoya. I think it was 2002. 2002. He fought uh, Felix Sturm in 2004. So, But I was going to say, it was around that time. When you you talked about the IBF tournament, you you beat like Maurice Harris, you beat David Tua, um, in a great fight. That was a really fun fight to watch you and Tua. Um, and then you and then two thousand the end of two thousand two, you beat Evander Holyfield for the IBF uh, yeah. title. So talk about talk yeah. about the Tua and Holyfield fights. Well, actually, they were great fights, but the fight I was more worried about. Maurice Harris. Was it Maurice Harris? Because <laughs> just styles, right? No, styles? No. No, he can fight. His style, yeah, he's fast. But see, he's the most underrated guy that 
nobody know about. They look at his record and say and say he's not that good. He went to L.A. as Lehman Brewster. Your cousin. Your cousin. <laughs> my cousin. And went to L.A. inspired with four different guys, four champions: Lehman, Francois Bosa, James Tony, and Jeremy Wim. Jeremy Wim is the only champion that was what not that bunch. And for me, when he was getting ready to fight me, and Layman, t- Layman called me, he was like, man, you fight mo-. They were worried about me. Because mm. he came into the gym and cleaned everybody up. And I was like, dang. And everybody knew. At that time, he was hot. He won like five, six fights straight. He took it serious. And I'm like, mm. And that was my biggest victory. I was like, oh, I beat Mo Harris. <laughs> I wasn't worried about David Tua. Short, short guys, to me, shorter guys like a Mike Tyson, you got to catch me. Right, right. And I'm going to be moving. I got great legs. I got great defense. And I'm going to frustrate you like hell. So you better, if you don't catch me, I got you. <laughs> if I catch your rhythm, you ain't going to beat me. Right. But when you get to the taller guys, that's when it's hard. They punching down at you. Right. And it's a hard matchup when you're fighting somebody taller. So that's why, like, fighting David, I was a little worried he could punch. Right, but I know if I can move around him and and use my tricks, I can beat him. And right. then when I fought Evander, I was like, he's too slow. Mm. He's too slow. He's smart. He's smart as heck, though. I gotta give him credit for that. In the ring, he's very smart. But I was like, his style is perfect for me. Right. He didn't, and both of them didn't want to fight me. So I know I got that. It that. I have an advantage on because I can start using my style to really mess them up in the fight, mess them up mentally because you really don't want to fight me. Now you really don't want to fight when you get in the ring with me because now it's harder than you thought. Right. So, you know, that's why, I mean, it was two great wins for me. I mean, I, I was like, it put me really back on the map big time. Right. Big time. So around this time too, you end up like Cedric. Cedric was promoting you, and then Cedric basically sold your contract to Don King. So, what I mean, most of your title defenses were uh, were under Don King's uh, promotional banner. So, so tell me what that was like. <laughs> um, it, it, it's all about he's a, he's as they as they say he's an evil genius. <laughs> he, he's genius. He's marvelous in the mind. That's what we start calling him, the evil genius. He's, he's marvelous in the mind, but he played, you know, he played all the games. He, you know, you just, you just don't enjoy your career, man, when you're under something like that. You just, you don't. Anybody that was with him, you don't enjoy your career because he, he's always cutting money. Every fight cuts you a million, cuts you up two million, a million and a half. You're like, really? Right. Knowing that you're desperate to fight, you would take almost anything because you just went through training camp. Right. Well, yeah, I and mean, now you, you're not. Fighting. You had like minimums. You had minimum purses you were supposed to make, and, and he was not meeting the minimums, totally, right? Totally. I had to sue him twice just to get my minimum. Sue him twice. Right. And on the second one, the first one, I won both, but I didn't get the full. I got a full amount of money on, on one of them, but the first one I didn't. So. Mm. You know, it's it's hard, man. You go through this, and you knowing that, man, I'm not getting paid what I'm supposed to get paid. You're like, really? I'm fighting. I don't really don't want to fight, but you gotta fight. You gotta feed your family. This is what I do. Right. 
Right. So just, just right. I, I hated all of that in my first career. I hated it. I had no control. I was quiet. I never spoke up for myself. And then I finished a career. I wasn't satisfied. I'm like, really? I went through this heavyweight, all this heavyweight stuff. I know how great a fighter I am. And I get no credit. And then the top 100 heavyweights come out. I'm 37. So I'm like, 37? <laughs> oh, all these challenges? Man, I should be in the top 10 just because of the weight difference. Every fight, somebody between 5 and 50 pounds bigger than me. Every right. single fight. Right. right. Boxing you... is about weight. You'll get fined $100,000 over one pound. One hmm. pound. But you go to the heavyweight division, nobody nobody say anything. Deontay Wilder should be pound for pound best fighter all the time <laughs> when he was champion. Yeah, He's could... beating everybody 20, 30, 40 pounds bigger. <laughs> really? Well, it's funny. Like, a lot of what you're saying, kind of, you know, the the one title defense that kind of where all that comes to a head is you got Jamil McCline who outweighs you by 56 pounds. He's admitted after his career that he was juicing <laughs> and and pro- probably juicing for your fight, and and he put you down in that fight, and still you you managed to come out with the with the decision in that fight. So talk about that one, man. <laughs> my goodness my 270 pounds check this out we waited in on Thursday because it was all heavyweight fight on the show we waited on Thursday every fight I fought I would be so full on the scale full because I have to make it look good make my weight at least get over 210 pounds because I get criticized. I'm like, man, I tried in two fights. Klitschko, I weighed 208. Ike, I weighed 208. I wanted, okay, I got to get up higher. So I weighed 214, but I had sweat. Shoot, I didn't have my shirt off on Thursday. He weighed 270. We fought Saturday. Mm. Mm. I weighed 204 the morning of the fight. <laughs> 204. <laughs> I asked Jamil, how much weight? Because me and Jamil, we boys. Right, right, right. How much weight do you put on? Man, I put on between 10 and 12 pounds. But this is two days later. <laughs> That's the only fight my father went through the ropes when they say seconds down. He looked back at Jamil, and then he looked at me. And I and like, oh, my goodness, son. <laughs> That's the first fight where where I actually thought about my parents being my you know, being my parents saying, man, my kid, knowing he's not a heavyweight, look who he's getting ready to fight. Right. He can get killed in this. He can get killed tonight. Right. That was and, from... that's, and, he, and he's juiced up on drugs. And he's on drugs at 270. Right. Right. Think about that. And they don't want to... Margaret, Good... Margaret Goodman, when she was over everything, I told her... She called me and asked me, do I know about drugs? I was like, I don't know anything about drugs, but I know somebody that do. Jamil <laughs> McClellan. <laughs> they didn't want to listen to him. He didn't win a world title. No one listen. I'm like, really? Mm. Mm. You got to win a world title to talk about drugs? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a joke, man. It's a joke. 
and, and I'm coming back to boxing. I'm talking about it all the time because everybody's going to be juiced up on drugs, fight. Everybody juiced up on drugs, drugs everywhere. And you call yourself great. You ain't fighting me on drugs. I already, I already fought on drug addicts. I already right. fought them all. Right. They're heavyweight. Now all these little drug addicts running around here, these smaller weights. No. We come in the camp. You fight me, and watch how many people won't fight me because of that. Mm. Because mm. if I say we're we're doing random, they be like, oh, snap. <laughs> we're going to do random now. Right, right. And let's see. Right. Because it, it's, a, it's a joke. It's a, it's a really, it's a joke, man. This is people lives, boxers' lives on the line, and everybody, if you can't afford the drugs, and these boxers that make money, champions, and they can't afford it, and they just kill the guys that can't afford it. Mm. You're like, really? Mm. You already got talent, but now you need the extra to, to really destroy me. Right, right. Yeah, like, I, I've been boxing my whole life, my whole life. Right. I've never seen somebody that didn't have power in the in the beginning of his career. Now all of a sudden you're knocking everybody out. Really? <laughs> because of it's not because of your power, it's your mentality. It's your mindset. You already have you have a lot of stuff, but the drugs hit the mind. Now you Superman. You a crazy man. You you rage, you just gonna go at it. I'm like, man, this is serious in this sport because these guys people getting hurt. Like I've been through all this pain, and a lot of it was food, but a lot of half of it was boxing, right. and it was my body getting damaged. Right. Drug, drug, drug guy after drug guy after drug. I know, I know the guys are on drugs. Right. I knew, I know all these people. I'm like, yeah, he's on. And I didn't care, I didn't care at that time because I, I got really arrogant. I'm like, man, you need drugs to beat little me. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, let's fight. And then when I beat you, I felt so satisfied. Like, man, he had drugs in his system, and he still couldn't beat me. Right. Well, with I don't, the, I don't with, nothing. With the with with the McCline fight, from what I understand, though, too, like that was a really really physical fight for you. Like you, it took you a little time to to recover from that one. Um, I mean, McCline just being such a big dude and juiced up dude. Um, so so that was kind of like, would you say Three that? Months. Yeah, yeah. Like at that point in time, would you say your body was starting to wear down from from all the big guys you you were tangling with? After I fought Jamil McClain, I was done. That was it. Mm. My body was it was uh, it was time to leave the heavyweight division. It was too much because I was taking not just because of the fight. I when I fought Jamil McClain, I had three guys. I'll spar with one of them. One of them was Kevin McBride. Kevin McBride weighed two eighty five in camp. Hmm. I'm sparring in a ten by ten ring. That's what I'm sparring. <laughs> I love sparring in my small ring. Kevin McBride. I had nowhere to move, so I gotta fight him. I gotta use all my tricks. I gotta do all this stuff every other day. I'm sparring with this him and two other guys that weighed two. Kevin McBride weighed two eighty five. I had two sixty five and two fifty five in camp. Three guys. And I'm and I'm roughly weighing two hundred and six, seven pounds every day. Mm. And I got start with them every other day. Mm. So the sparring was more grueling just as grueling as the fight. Right. So I got and I was sparring with all three. 
All mm. three. Back to, that's how I was. Back to back. If I spar six rounds, I spar two, two, two. I spar eight or nine, three, three, three. I spar four, four, four at the end, the 12 round. I did two 12 rounds with those three guys. Two of them in mm. my camp. Mm. After four rounds, none will come in. Hey, it pushes me to the highest level. I'm a little guy, but I, I'm feisty. But that took a lot out of me. And then fight Jamil after that, I was I was no more good. Right. I mean, honestly, my skills, everything started falling apart. It's it's the body, basically because of my diet, because right. of how I eat. Right. I, I had to eat all this crap to keep the weight up. Right, right. So you made one more title defense. You beat Deveril, uh Touch of Sleep Williamson, who uh, most fighters who fought him always talk about just how hard he hits. <laughs> like the the right hand he's got is like a bazooka. <laughs> so talk about fighting him. They never, man, they never mentioned Deveril as one of the hardest hitting heavyweights. Him and Herbie Hyde. I mean, these guys hit so hard. I used to spar with DeVero. We sparred so much. And I'm like, I love sparring with him because I have to avoid the right hand. It makes me avoid the right hand. You have to. Because if you don't avoid it, you get knocked out in the sparring. Mm. Oh, he's going to spark you. Mm. Oh, it, it's that serious. But he gets no credit for being one of the hardest punchers in the division. And I'm... So I get to fight with DeVero a month before, a month. Don King playing games. Here he called me. I got to fight for you. And we're, we're going through it just anyway. We're going through it because he's not paying me like he should. He's, he's doing all this stuff. And then he called me four weeks before the fight. You're fighting in Reno. Um, and you're fighting DeVero Williamson. I'm like, Don playing games again. When I fought Jamil, I took Jamil to Don King's house. Don used to live across the street from me. So I took him to get him signed. I'm like, I I just signed with Don King. I thought he was a good guy. I took Jamil over there. Next thing you know, I'm fighting Jamil. I'm like, what? (laughs) I took him over to your house. You know we good friends. Me and DeVero good friends. Hmm. I'm fighting DeVero now. Neither neither one was number one contender. Right. It wasn't mandatory, but we're fighting. Friends. And with Jamil, it was cool. It was like me and my brother. Me and my brother used to go at it. Me and my brother Patrick. We used to go at it. It was just like that. Man, we me and, and we still good friends afterwards. It was just a hard, tough fight. It was like a a great sparring session. We just went at it. Me and DeVero, we never was the same afterwards as far as friendship-wise. Really? It was still cool, but it was, it was just different because of the circumstance Don put us in. Hmm. We didn't want to fight each other. I didn't want to fight him. I was right. like, well, that's my boy. I know his kids. I know his wife. I know everything. And this, and then all it came just all of a sudden, you're hmm. fighting DeVero. I'm like, really? I don't want to fight him. Hmm. That's my boy. That's my boy, one and two. He got murder in his right hand. Right. You crazy. I don't want to fight him now. <laughs> I got to I gotta be amped up to fight him. Like, he got to, like, for me, he fought his way to me. If he fought his way and I seen him, I'm like, okay, he beat this guy, he beat this guy. Now it's time to fight him. I know how dangerous the Vera Williamson is. And, and then Don, <laughs> he paid me 
about for that fight, I think I had paid about fifteen percent of my purse. Mm. 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 That's how bad that was. Ugh. And then my wife was yelling at the time, just move, just move. He's not paying you. Why are you going to take the risk and get knocked out and try to fight? <laughs> so I just moved. I mean, it, it was boring. They booed the place out. And to add insult to injury, I was co-main event to James Tony, a 10-round fight. Mm. Wow. I'm world champion. <laughs> but disrespect again. Disrespect again. I was like, man, that, that's some bull. That's some bull. I'm world champion, and I'm co-main event to a non, non-title fight. Mm. Like, wow. Mm. I don't think that ever happened in history. Kind of disrespectful. That. that is crazy. That's crazy. So after that, it was pretty much, you know, you, you, you rematched Klitschko, Vladimir, um, you know, and, and you went at him again. And uh, this, yeah, time he, this time he stopped out, you. Blew me out and do it. Yeah. And after that, you know, you had a win, and then, then you fought Povetkin. Um, how's, you know, I mean, basically, you know, you, you went back to Germany, you fought Povetkin. I mean, at that point in your yeah. career, could you, could you kind of see the – the light at the like the like that it was getting towards the end. I mean, once once you lost, the, it, 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 it was getting towards the end. But my skills were still there. Right. To keep it real, eight days before the fight, another separated real mm. bad, mm. bad. Eight days before I went to Germany, argue with my wife again. Why you go out there? It's all set up, Tracy. This is at the end of my career. I can get back into the title hunt. You know, if I if I if I don't fight. Well, I'm not getting back into no IBF tournament. You know, it just it's just how it is. It's how my career been. And so I was like, I gotta take it. I gotta take it. And I and I, I look at Povek and I'm like, he's not that good. To me, honestly, I like he's not that great. Right. Why why not take it? Right. And then one thing in the fight, he kept getting stronger every round. I'm like, dang! <laughs> he's, he, I think he's only like 12 and 0, but he's getting stronger and stronger every round. And then my father stopped the fight after, I think, the 10th or 11th round. Right. Really, for no reason. I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. I'm not nothing. He was like, you're not winning. Mm. I will stop it. I, I don't want to see you get hurt. Right. I mean, you, you're not winning right now, so you might as well. I know you had, I had a light that came patching on my rib the whole day mm. just hoping that the, the pain would go away in my rib mm. and mm. then it didn't go away I'm like okay you know whatever I mean it, we all fight hurt the thing right. is everybody fight hurt hurt hands ribs every cut everything you know it's just it's part of boxing right right so, and after that I was like man I I, I was so distraught about my career I because through my whole career, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I followed all the middles, the super middles, and light heavyweight. Everybody winning titles. I followed the Olympics. I'm a boxing junkie freak. I was a freak. I mean, I know everything about boxing, and especially the weight class. Everybody winning titles. I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be winning down there, not up here. Right. I'm getting... I'm getting paid very little. I'm getting criticized. Who likes to get criticized? Who likes to get booed in a fight? Right. I'm fighting this to survive. I'm not fighting for entertainment. I'm not heavyweight. I'm not. It's not. Inter- I'm just trying to win a fight and make some money. Right. You know. I'm not. Tra- you never see me in there trading with anybody. Right. Only 
only one I did that with was Andrew Galata. I wasn't trading with him. I was just fighting him back. Right, right. That's it. And that was All a real. That was a really good Don fight, King. by the way, too. <laughs> it's a hell of a fight. I told Don King, I told Don King in the walkway right before I went out. Fred Kendo fought John Ruiz. Everybody was booing. The whole this is my first main event at the Garden, and and I'm a historian. I know the biggest fight ever. They consider Ali Frazier. Where was it? Madison Square, Square Garden. Garden. Right. So I was like, man, at the Garden where they fought, where all the greats fought, Ray Robinson, all these guys. I'm gonna turn this place out. And then I seen Don King when I when I heard all the booing before I walked out. I said, I'm gonna save your show. <laughs> I'm gonna save your show. He looked he looked so distraught back there, like, man. And then it saved the show. Everybody talked about. I'm like, man, it felt good. I was like, wow, they talking good about me now. They're not saying I'm boring. I fought to a draw, and now everybody crazy. <laughs> hmm. How crazy is that? That is crazy. Like, wow. <laughs> I mean, just that's just how it is, man. The heavyweight division is different. They don't want Barry. They don't want Ali in the in the division. They want knockout. Right. Big right. guys. Not, Deontay Wilder stretch them. Right. And now you got me moving around, slipping like a little guy. Don't <laughs> fight on the big guy. Right. Well, you did try to I get you did try to get back down and wait. Like right, right towards the the end of your career, you fought Sean George at, at light heavyweight. Uh-huh. But I, I mean, all wrong. Yeah. Talk about that. I mean, did, was it just you took off too much weight, or or what went wrong? So I was at heavyweight for so long. I thought I had to lose all this weight. Like, it would be hard to... Man, I gotta get to light heavyweight. Man, I got to light heavyweight so fast. I was down in weight. It's on YouTube. I was at Joe Calzaghe, Bernard Hopkins fight. Five weeks before the fight, I weighed 174 pounds. Mm. I was walking around at 169, but I was starving myself. I would run seven miles in the morning, seven miles at night. And then some days I'll run an extra four miles at, at later on at night. <laughs> I got obsessed in the mind. I trained, just was training. And then my diet was, was it, wasn't was good. Back and forth, I starved and I eat junk. Then I'll starve and I'll run. It was just bad. When it was funny because they, because of my age, usually you have to go to the commission before the fight. Right. Usually. Right, because of age, he was he, the commission. One of the guys on commission looked at me at the Bernard Hopkins Calzaghe fight and said, "Oh man, you're okay. You're good. You look good." When I got in the ring, the same people said, "Man, they said who passed him?" Mm. Why? Well, because I, I looked like a skeleton. I didn't even warm up before the fight. I had no energy. Mm. Mm. And I went out there and embarrassed myself. And I was like, man, I lost to Sean George. And I told Sean George in the ring, man, you got a great win here. Do something with it, bro. This is a great win for you. You didn't do nothing with it. Right. And that, it, that, it happens. No way in heck I'm going to let somebody like Sean George beat me. I'm too good for that. Hmm. No, way, no way in hell he could beat me. 
But he beat me that night. I was all messed up. Right. And now, you know. Well, listen. Okay, so 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 let's talk about this. So so you retire. And 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 you know you you've got the foot pain you've got you know uh, hip replacement so you 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 experienced like years of pain like you said all, all the way from what two thousand eight to to two thousand seventeen yeah. you're in you're in a ton of pain yeah. and uh, I, I think I read somewhere where you said I mean one of your your beautiful daughters got got married. And you were just worried about being able to walk her down the aisle and even, like, you know, do a first dance with her. You didn't even know if you could do that. Like, it was that bad. Yep. It was yep. that bad, so. It was way it was bad. It was really bad. I mean, I had a hip replacement at that time. I got calcium buildup. They, calcium buildup. They, they said I would never run. I could never run on it. I'm going to be in pain the rest of my life just with that hip. The other hip went out 13 days before my daughter got married. Mm. And I had a walker in the cane. I was crying. I was like, man, I'm going to walk my daughter down the aisle. God, I can't even dance with her or nothing. Mm. Mm. You know, different kind of treatment I did. I'm not going to tell you what I did. It's natural. (laughs) No, I tell you. It it was urine therapy. I was, I was, you were paying your death. What? Urine therapy. What urine in the hell? Therapy. <laughs> urine therapy. What is urine therapy, Chris Bird? See, but we're in the Western world. They don't teach you nothing. The only, only thing they're going to teach you is prescription drugs. Mm. Everybody go to prescription drugs. What about natural medicine? Nobody knows natural medicine. They don't understand it. Everything. I mean, they people don't even understand. Like, you don't have to take... You know you don't have to take an Advil. You know that's harmful to the body because it's man-made product. The body don't understand what's going in it. Now, all of a sudden, you have another problem. Hmm. And that's the problem with food. All these chemicals in the food, all this. I study food. And I'm like, really? Hmm. All these chemicals and drugs and all these antibiotics in the food. And then look at them. Look at Americans. I walk around, everybody's fat. Everybody got a, a bloated stomach. All these men bloated stomach, women fat. Every why? Why everybody sick? Why is the health healthcare out of control? Why? And nobody ever asks why. You don't ask what you put in your mouth. You just think it's hereditary. But all these diseases form. And, and see, we're all sheep, not asking questions. We just go along life, and you all messed up, and you. Well, I wasn't like this. Why am I so tired all the time? <laughs> well, you ever check out what you put in your body? Right. You ever study it? After after two or three ingredients, you don't even know what that is. You can't even read it. Right, right. But that goes into your body. The human body don't recognize it. It's like, what the heck is going on? Right. Why are you putting this stuff in my body? Next thing you know, you got some kind of disease. And you're like, man, you're fighting for your life. And you and then you go back to eating the same stuff because now one doctor going to tell you, change your diet. You need to eat this, this, and this. No, they're going to tell you, huh, take this pill. Right. Oh, you need this pill. Oh, okay. They're not telling you. They're giving you a solution. They're just masking the problem. I've been to many doctors. All these doctors, they, because I can't take prescription drugs, they don't know what to do with me. 
Hmm. I don't know. Go to Dr. Joe. Go to Dr. Jim. He'll know. No, go to this doctor. I'm like, really? So I had to start figuring it out for myself. I got to understand my body, not a doctor understanding my body, me understanding me. And when that happened, whoo, start <laughs> healing up. One big thing is cannabis. Cannabis. The weed. Marijuana. <laughs> One of the best medicines ever. And people were like, oh, you you take cannabis? You smoke this? Yeah, in the oils and oils, tinctures, smoke, everything. The plant, if it's all natural, the plant is the God. They call it the God plant because it can heal everything. Right now, right. I mean, listen to like the 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 article that that Eric Raskin wrote about you called "Clipped Wings." This was February of 2019, and and it sounded like like you were near suicidal. Like the pain was just like that bad. You were just incapacitated. Now, Chris, I look on Facebook and I, I see a guy who looks like he's you know your body looks like you're an amateur boxer again. You're like. Down to 160, you're ripped, and not only that, you're running, you're you're, you're sparring, you're working out in the gym. So between yeah. February of 2019 and uh, and today, October of 2020, you know how'd you heal? Let's get it. Let's get it. <laughs> Talk about it. I'll, I'll Talk about it. the transformation I'll from from near cripple to to a guy who's back in the gym working out. They're crippled, man. I I can, man. I can. Uh, you gonna have me crying about this because mm. I um I'm I'm with a cannabis expert. Her name is Tammy Thomas, and she was like, "Chris, I can get you healed if you if you just listen and go by what I what I give you and tell you, I can get you healed, man." This girl went to work on me with cannabis at the highest level. I mean, the high levels of THC, CBD, everything. And and a, and a, a mindset, you got to have a mindset, a mentality of, I'm going to get better. I got to get better. And I work my, I work my ass off to mm. get better. I mean, I've been work stretch. I stretch every day. I work out. Make sure I stay positive. Everything, everything goes together with it. And now it wasn't just cannabis. I got, and, and I was getting treatment because treatments wasn't working. Like I go to, uh, I get um, to a guy named Aaron, Aaron Cameron. He's uh, Denise Richards' husband, mm. the actress. Right. And I go to his place. It's a, a vibration, frequency, sound, and frequency. He used the treatments to help heal the body. I do all natural stuff. So, you know, for me, it coming back to boxing, this time, I'm healed. Mm. I'm healed, I mean, meaning healed even during boxing. My whole, one of my points of coming back to boxing is to educate the boxer. The boxer does this. He fights, he cuts 30, 40 pounds. He fights, and what do we do? Blow back up. You can't keep going back up and down. It's, the body doesn't recognize it. Now it forms all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems. And that's our, that's our problem as fighters. You can't treat your body like that. Mm. 
you know, it's, it's time to educate. Educate in swelling and being safe in the ring. Being safe. Like, for me, I teach defense. No boxers don't want to really learn it. Right. Hey, this is a damaging sport. Right. You know, I mean, like, serious damage. You won't have a life after boxing. You won't have a life. Right. You know, it's crazy. So, So listen, I... Just just going back to your rehab, though, because, I mean... We're talking. You're saying you had like legit, like calcium buildup in your hips, um, you know, nerve damage, pain. So, so like shoulders, shoulders. I couldn't raise my arms. You know? Right, right. You couldn't raise your arms. So, like, like when when you say like the 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 the, the therapy you're getting with the from Denise Richards' husband, how does it help your hips? How does it help your shoulders? And and what exactly are are, are you doing to to rehab? Uh, frequency, sound, the frequency, it, it's, you know, it's, um, is that to uh, like break up the calcium in your hips or, or how's it work? It, it does everything. It heal, it heal my foot. It heal, it help, it help with everything else I'm doing with a clean diet, with, um, the cannabis and that it helps heal everything. Mm. It's not PLC. People like, what are you doing? Because they're so used to peels, masking everything. Now I'm doing natural treatment. Natural. They, and then if I tell them about it, frequency, sound and frequency, vibration, all this stuff. What is that? Well, that's some <laughs> weird stuff. No, it's, They'll be like, it's Chris, stuff. you went it's, to it's California and you went crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. And now it, it, it's crazy treatment because we're so used to what um what doctors tell you and no you gotta take this pill, you gotta do this. Nobody never put you to, to natural medicine. Like it's like urine therapy. Study study it. And people instead of saying, Oh, that's nasty, well go study it and see what it does for you. So so you're still practic- hey, you're still practicing urine therapy. Every day. Why wouldn't I? Hmm. So when you say urine therapy, is that like like when Juan, Mel, Juan Manuel Marquez was like drinking his own urine? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, so, listen. I mean, the, the fact that you were a near crippled, not- whatever works, man. If it, I mean, if, I mean, anyone could go to your Facebook page and see that you know, you know, it's it's for real. I mean, from from what Eric Raskin described, you know, just the the pain and misery you were going through. And you were just like, you know, at that point in time, you had just started smoking or, or, or doing whatever, the you know, edibles with, with the cannabis just to manage the pain. Um, so now yeah. you've got some rehab and you're actually like active, running hills, training. I mean, it's 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 an amazing story. You are sparring. You're back sparring. Wow. Wow. So, back I mean, dead, do you, dead, bro. seriously, seriously. So now, I mean... Uh, do, do you still have like pain in your hips? Do you still have pain in your shoulders? Do you still, have, I mean, is it is it still something you have to manage? Hip, everything getting used to. Hmm. You know, it, it's all natural. My hips, I have a, a pain here and there that flare up, hmm. maybe, or in my foot, maybe flare up just here and there. Then it's nothing. Then it's gone, gone because I'm still 
killing it a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So my body would be is probably ninety nine point four percent healed right now. Mm, 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 mm. I'm dead serious. I, I'm dead serious. I mean, I've been sparring. Man, it's great to hear, man. It's great today. to hear. Mm. I just ran a heel. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, I, I'll talk about the comeback and why. Why Why come back? People ask me all the time. Mm. Why? So well, you're thinking about boxing again. You really you really want to, to, to get back in the ring thinking again. About, thinking, thinking about boxing? <laughs> crazy. My whole thing is, no, no, crazy. Like, I'm not thinking about it. No, I'm committed. I'm in. Mm. I'm, I'm, uh, I want to win a middleweight title. Mm. Mm. And that's my goal. Middleweight title. Nobody's fighting each other. Who's fighting, who's fighting Demetrius Andre? Nobody. <laughs> Power. Everybody wants to say I'm the best, I'm the best. Canelo saying he the best, they best out there. I'm like, but why you, you got all these middle, you haven't cleaned out the middleweight division. Mm. Mm. How you how you pound for pound the best when you haven't you go up fight older guys and out of the weight class but don't fight nobody in the weight class, the other champions. Mm. No, it's time to hey, put up or shut up. <laughs> I'm tired of all these illusional champions. You call them great. People call them great because they beat this guy. Because Canelo beat Triple G. Now he's the man. Then he beat these other really? But you got Demetrius Andre and Charlo sitting right here. I'm like, right. the division out. Right. Before you call yourself the man. I'm like, no, they don't work like that. See, I fought a heavyweight. I was willing to fight every heavyweight. Any heavyweight that was considered <laughs> the man, I want to fight him. I caught, hey, Mike Tyson, Evander, Lennox Lewis. I put an ad in the paper in Vegas, called all three of them out. <laughs> Chris, I remember sitting next to you, like after I interviewed you. This was around 2000. I think we might have been at the, uh, we might have been at the Lennox Lewis and uh, and Michael Grant fight. And I remember sitting next to you at the press conference, and and people asked uh, Lennox Lewis who he wanted to fight next, and you yelled out Chris Bird. And Lennox was like, "Oh, I don't fight birds." <laughs> like, yeah. like he he basically was trying to make fun of your name, but basically saying he wasn't going to fight you. He wasn't going to fight you. He wasn't going to fight me. No, he never. He never wanted to fight me. When we keep it real. I keep it real. Like, like I'm telling the stories on on um, Facebook and Instagram. I tell stories. Some of the stories I got knocked out in. Right. I'm, I keep it real. Some stories I beat guys up. I beat them. It's just part of boxing. Hey, stuff happened. But don't come and tell me that you were. You said you were great, and and you're gonna put me down. And when they ask you, why didn't you fight Chris? Why? Tell the truth. <laughs> I didn't want to fight him. He was too hard to fight. <laughs> too hard, difficult. Just to be truthful. I'm truthful. I'm like, hey, guy. Crack me, knock me down, put me down, knock my tooth out. It's part of the sport, man. That guy was better than me that night. Oh, that guy is, is too good. Shoot, I just want to keep my belt for a little bit longer. That's why I didn't fight him. Stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> right. I'm just real. Right, no doubt. Real. Like I tell you about my separated ribs. I, it was, I'm very honest. Right. Something happens. A lot of boxers fight like that. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you how I fought. 
Right. I got the Vera Wilson spurn knocked my tooth out, my front tooth. Wow. Boom. It was hanging. <laughs> it was hanging at the root. I, I'm dead serious, hanging. Mm. When I pulled my mouthpiece out, my tooth was hanging. I was like, dang it. I just shoved it back in there and stuck, stuck it <laughs> up in there. And I go to the dentist, and my um, sister-in-law is a, was a dental hygienist. She's like, that's the smartest thing to do. Stick it, push it back in. <laughs> Put it back in there like that. It, it'll stay in it. Then it'll stay and maybe grow back together. But it never did. I mean, my tooth is, is I said, it's a cap. It still come out. <laughs> it still come out. That's it, crazy. It's part of boxing, man. Stuff happens. Absolutely. So listen, you're you're in Southern California now. You're in you're in the San Diego yeah. area, right? Um, yeah. What what what? Now you're you said you're also training fighters, like you're teaching there. I I, I was training fighters big time, mm. big time. I was that was my that was my next thing, and then I I started finding out for me, you know, training guys, and I was training them. A lot of guys really. Don't want to see. I would teach for me. I teach defense before offense. Right. I want to teach that first because the sport is the art of self-defense. Let me. Most of these guys on a on a high level, they already know how to fight. Right. All you gotta do is tweak them a little bit here and there. You tweak, they know how to fight. Right. But they never, but they never been taught defense. They don't know how to fight. Really know how to fight both ways. Right. It's an art to this thing, and now you got a lot of coaches that never fought. They get in, get in this, and all they teach is offense, 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 right. offense. That's right. it. But it's the second part of the sport. Defense. You got to, you got to be defensive. Look at all your defensive fight: Lomachenko, Floyd, Pernell. Right. They're great they? fighters. Pound for pound, the best. Right. Right. Pound for pound, the best. So what? What? How did your? What did your dad? What are some of the drills, or what are the things that that, that your dad taught you that that made you such a great defensive fighter? Nothing. <laughs> I learned. I thought you. I thought you guys had drills where you he'd put a tire in the ring or something, and you guys had to put a foot in there. But that was a. I guess you can call it defensive. That was just survival. You put the foot in, there, put the foot in the tires for runners. <laughs> guys that just want to run. Now you can work on your pivot. Now you can stay in the pocket in the fight. Right. When guys moving all over the place, you waste energy. Wasting it. You got no boxing. Right. Why are you tired? You're like, why are you tired? Well, you moving all over the place. <laughs> why are you wasting all the energy? Stay right there. My father believes stay right in front of the man and fight him. Right. Your skill set should be, you should outthink him. you right there in the pocket. Your skill set your skill set should be on point. Get him right there. So did did he so do that drill with you guys in the tire? He would put the tire in the ring. You had to keep one foot in it. Was that was that something he did? Uh, growing up, my whole life, he did all the time with everybody. He, I even did it when I was pro. And the guys would be like, "What? What the heck is it? Put your foot in there." <laughs> okay, now let's do battle right here. Let's do battle right in front of each other. Mm. Work on your craft. Punches are coming real fast now. So yeah, I, I would assume that that would help you with your infighting too. Yes, I mean it, it helps you everywhere, but it gives you a mentality of I can fight in the pocket. 
I can fight right here. I don't got to move from him. I'm not right. scared of him. Right. It's a defense. And now you got to work on your defense in close quarters. Now you go get really get hit. So, right. right. You know, it's just my father had a different way of thinking when it came to boxing. He tried to think outside the box all the time. Mm. Just thinking outside the box, doing all kind. We did all kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, the ring got smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, in our basement, my father was like, okay, our gym closed down. So he was like, okay, we got nowhere to go. I'm going to build a uh, gym in the basement because uh, the school that we had the gym in, it tore the whole building down. So we had no gym. Mm. I made the Olympics from my basement. Mm. One one bag down there, and my father built an eight by <laughs> an eight by ten ring <laughs> with carpet on three on three sides of the wall, carpet <laughs> and ropes on the front, and nobody can lay on the ropes because they're break. <laughs> so he's like, "Don't go to the ropes." I'm like, well, "Where do we go?" <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like you slow dancing with a girl. You we all stuck together. <laughs> So that so so it was you and Patrick down there most of the time, right? You and Patrick were would get in the ring together. Look, me and Patrick, but so you know who Montel Griffin is, right? Of course, of course. So Montel Griffin, he stayed with me for two and a half months before the Olympic trials. He trained with me. Part of my family. He asked him about my ring. <laughs> Y'all crazy. This is crazy. Man, come on. We started sparring that out. I, I used to beat him butt in that ring. He couldn't do nothing. <laughs> and I tell you that because he hated it. He's like, man, you can kill me in that little ring. I was, I was used to it. But it, it'll make you work. I mean, I love hoping today. It makes you work. It makes you think. It makes you, oh, man, it ups the pace. Now you got to fight. Now you're in close quarters. It makes you work on your your whole game. Right. Now it's not just an offensive game. Now it's a, you got to use your defense because you're in close quarters. Right. Well, it was now interesting. I, I I saw one of the, the, the videos you put up on uh, Facebook where you were teaching some young kids about uh, yeah. about defense. And one of the things that you were showing them was – you know, you don't need to to dip your legs. You don't need to like you know squat down. Like move your waist. You know, you you use your yeah. waist. You know, move move your upper body. You move your torso and you know to 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 avoid shots. Yeah, yeah it's waist movement. Everybody, where does this head movement come from? Head. So people don't they don't realize the waist controls with the body. Right. The movement. But everybody head moving, so they get confused. Well, I'm moving my head, but I'm still getting hit. <laughs> it's not head moving. Right. But the problem is, is the teaching, the teaching of of everything. Right. Teaching boxing, teaching you teaching the art of self defense for a reason. Right. So your kid can have a life after boxing. Right. Right. So he won't get damaged in all these different problems. And, and to become a complete fighter. See, I come from a boxing background, just like Floyd. Floyd, when he starts talking boxing, he can break it down because he grew up in the sport. My father trained Floyd Sr. Floyd Sr. four or five fights. Mm. You know, so it's, 
learning boxing. My father is very old school, and he's very complete how he trained boxing. He don't train skills. He trained basics. Right. And he gets your basics down so good. That's what makes him a great coach. I'm like, hey, he, don't even tra- he don't even teach skills. Hmm. <laughs> but he produces good fighters. Like, guys are... You know, Charles be good fighters. She like, but he don't even produce skills. I mean, teach skills. So I'm like, uh, the basics are very important. Basic blocking, like basic throwing a jab and knowing where your hands are. Everything. He's just, he's a master at that. Hmm. And he'll keep you to it. He'll, he'll hold you to it. Keep your hands up. I don't teach that. See, I got away with it because my style is different. So he really couldn't teach my style. He's like, mm, you're, you're unusual. Mm. That's just my style. I have four older brothers that box before me. So I got to see every one of them and how they fight. I just picked from all their style, made my style. Because mm. mm. I'm a lefty and I'm, and I'm just different. You know, I got all these moves. I got all this waist movement. I always had it. So I just formed my own style. Right you know, to where my father can now understand. He can start understanding. Okay, this is what he does. Okay, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird to box because I'm totally different than any box. You get in the ring with me, you like. It's so, about him that's just throwing me off. Right. So do you My think? Style. Do you it's think that like when you're trying? Do you try and teach? When you try and teach like young kids, are you focusing more on the basics, or, or do you try and kind of mold them in, in more of your unusual style? Basics first, always basics. Right. But the basics, my basic may not be so Joe Bird's basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm for real to to make it different. Shannon Briggs told me something. Um, he told me something that made a lot of sense. He said, Chris, you got to think about your style. Who's used to your style? Who's training for that style? Nobody, you know, is, is hard, is hard to even teach it or even understand the style. So you're unusual. So in every fight, everybody looking at you like, what do I do again? Right. You're different. Right. You're different. So I try to make everybody else different. Because everybody trained the same way. You train, you go to the gym. What you see? Throwing punches, throwing punches, throwing punches. Everybody throwing punches. Well, nobody's avoiding the punch. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I thought was so, really cool about that video. You you were showing the kids, like, you know, how you did it and, and you know, and, and what the effect of what you were doing was. You know, if if if, if you if you if you basically got a guy, you know, and, and you're watching him and he's doing the same thing over and over again, you know, you have like so many options to like, you know, uh, discourage him and then he doesn't want to throw any punches and once he doesn't want to throw any punches, then you got him. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Shut him down. That's what it's about. Shut him down. <laughs> Shut everybody down. That's, that's, when you see at middleweight, I'm huge for middleweight. Huge. I'm Close to six two, great shape. I'm walking around at one sixty between one fifty eight, one sixty three all the time. 
Yeah, you look amazing, dude. You look great. I, I, I was like really, really happy to see it when I looked on there because I had just, you know, I, I felt really bad for you. Like I said, I mean, when I met you in 2000, you were pretty much like my first major interview that I did for uh, for a boxing magazine. And I, I loved you because uh-huh. you, you, you just talked, you love to just talk boxing. You could talk boxing all day. <laughs> all day. Yeah. So all day, I love so I always had a great affinity for you and your career, and uh, and when I read that article that that Eric wrote, it broke my heart, man. I was like, God, Daniel, if if, that, if this can happen to 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 Chris, you know, I mean, you know, come on, man. I mean, you didn't get hit that much, you know, and it's like, you know, and, and yeah. you're suffering out there. So so then when I saw that you, you're yeah. in recovery, I was like, well, you know, praise God, man. <laughs> you know, this guy's this guy's yeah. made it back. This guy's made it back. So. Yeah. That, that people think I'm crazy because I'm bike back boxing, but they don't know the whole story. Right. You know what I'm saying? They think boxing did all that damage. And I'm like, my brain is good. I go to all these doctors, but my body is tore up. And the first thing <laughs> the doctors say, well, you know, boxing, man, your brain, and they go check my brain and be like, well, man, how your brain is good, but your body all messed up. <laughs> Well, talk about that. Then. Talk about your diet. What's what's like a a, a typical typical day of a uh, Chris Bird's diet? What, what what do you eat on a typical day? Oh, you know, I eat. I eat uh, for breakfast. What do you have? I, I, I fast a lot, and I really eat breakfast. I, I intermittent fast. I drink a lot of water. I drink hemp hearts to you know, it's salads. You know, uh, anything. Doc, you ever heard of Dr. Selby? Dr. Selby. Don't know Dr. Selby. Okay. Dr. Selby has, you know, he was a, a holistic doctor. I mean, that know food very well, very well. And then break down all the food, what it means, how it's alkaline to acid foods to um, just, it's crazy how I studied so much of the food and what foods are real, what foods are man-made, made in the laboratory, what foods are don't have a seed, like a carrot don't have a seed. Right. So is it real? Is it real <laughs> or not? Where did it come from if it don't have a seed? <laughs> it's made in the laboratory. Mm. Think about it. Mm. That, now the human body really doesn't recognize that mm. as mm. much. You, you, we put in our body, we, we call it health, but then you may have some issues. You may have, you know, acne or anything. And you're like, why, why, did, this come, why did this mold come? Where did it come from? What am I eating? Right. Nobody, I'm sorry, nobody say, what am I eating? They just like, hmm, I got a mold. It might be cancer. Oh, I hope not. But, but you got to get to the root of the problem. Where did it, why do I have this mold and why is it cancer? Mm. Hmm. Because it could be genetic, you know. My dad had prostate cancer. Prostate cancer. My mom had colon cancer. Right. It it could be genetic, but we can break the genet the genetics by our how we live with right. diet and how we live, just with stress and everything else. So 
you know, and studying all that, I understand for my body, for my body, because for everybody else's body, it may not work for them. Right. But I figured out the foods and the stuff that I need for my body to have energy all day. Mm. So you only you only you only eat foods that have seeds. I mean, I take it you're, you're eating salads, you're eating or, or or things that that grow off a tree or from the ground. So yes, vegan. You know, basically you try to live off the earth. So you're vegan. You're vegan now. Oh, big time! I don't know. I eat no meat, none of that stuff. Nah. Hmm. Oh, you know, meat. No, no meat. Wheat, dairy, sugar. And people say, "What you eat? What are you eating?" <laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to figure and out. <laughs> that's how far gone we are away from food. Hmm. What are you eating, then? Because you, they make all this other food. It tastes so good, but you never read the ingredients hmm. because after, like I said, two or three ingredients, you can't even read. You don't even understand what that is. Right. Now, if they have more than five ingredients in it, it's like, why am I eating it? Because what is that? Because it tastes good. Everything that tastes good, you know, is not good for the body. Mm. Mm. And every, well, well, when I get older, it's going to come. Man, getting older comes fast. Right. It comes real fast. Now you old. Now you having problems. Who wanna Who wanna die miserable? Mm. Yeah, true that. I think my mom at seventy five died of cancer. Miserable death. Yeah. Miserable. Cancer is a really tough way to go, man. My parents both died of cancer, yeah, for, too. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, Forget that. I seen that. I was like, no. Nah, I held the rest of my life. I never, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put nothing unhealthy in my body ever again. Hmm. I, I, I told myself, I'm not doing no more junk. I used to eat all the chips, candy, all that stuff. Hmm. Not, now, nothing. Hmm. I had to get real disciplined in my mind and be like this. Now, I can do this. It's easy. And as soon as I start changing, it becomes easy to me. I'm like, okay, I can do it. Because if you feel great, why would I go back? Because I feel so good. Why would I go back eating that stuff? Now I'm going to feel tired, have fatigue, I mean, fatigue, have allergies, have all kinds of stuff. So I'm like, I don't want to go back there no more. And then all my pain will come back. Right. So I'm done with that. Right. I feel great, man. And I feel like a kid. <laughs> well, man, listen, let, let's, 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 uh, let's wrap it up on that note, man. Cause that, that's just so great to hear, man. You know, I, I was really worried about you. I, I was really concerned and, and sad, man, that, uh, that that you were in such pain, man, because you were such a good guy and such a great fighter, and uh, to hear that 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 you're relatively pain free, you're back in the gym, you're feeling great. I mean, that's just amazing news, and I, I just want to congratulate you on that turnaround. And you know, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for you, man. Yeah, thank you very much, man. Make sure, you, hey, everybody listening out there, make sure you follow the fifty year old phenom. Fifty <laughs> year old phenom. I'm phenomenal at 50. That's... I will be the biggest in sports. Watch. <laughs> I will win world titles in my 50s. <laughs> it's, gonna be, it's, it, it's coming. Well, you know what? It seems it's like there's, there's there's almost like the seniors tour now. Like you, you, I mean, you got Oscar wants to come back. You got Sergio Martinez. Like a lot of guys, uh, you know, over 40 or, you know, even so over we're, 45. We're, yeah. 
and we'll see. Now the former heavyweight, two-time heavyweight champion is in all of their weight class. Let's see how many guys fight me. I'm serious. Let's see how many guys fight me. Call me out, all the older guys. That's why I'm, I got to go at the young guys. <laughs> Chris, the only thing I'd be concerned about is if they're tested for marijuana, dude. You know, that that's that could be a problem. <laughs> it could be, you know. I have to clear it out of my system beforehand. But I, got, I guess I got to do what all the drug guys do and get get the right uh, chemists or, or um, scientists to get me through the drug test so I can pass it. <laughs> You'd be like the 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 non juicing guy who still still got to stay clean somehow. So yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, hey man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's great talking to you about your career, and like I said, I'm just really really happy that you're feeling better, man. Uh, really happy for you, champ. So uh, hey man, thanks for the time and uh, and take care. Yep. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You take it easy. All right, Chris. Talk to you later, man. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leaving the Ring Network. I'd like to thank Chris Bird for taking the time to speak with me. I always enjoy talking boxing with Chris. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it. It helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that will also feature quotes and background on my interview with Chris. And until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for? 